welcome, questions, to another episode of Your Queerstory. We are your host. I am Evan Jones, uh, a.k.a. Pastor Evan, a.k.a. Reverend Evan, a.k.a. Father Reverend, uh, Father Evan, a.k.a. Um, my altar boy is with me, Paul Hobbs, as always. Actually, I'm the sock you put in the dryer but never came out. The the lost, the elusive sock. The elusive sock, I the s- one that disappeared all those years ago. All those years. It's just stuck down in the bottom. I don't know. There was some kind of article I read on what happens to your socks in the dryer, but I can't remember. So I'm still just upset that my socks are lost. I you can't know, stand I it. I have like, fifth, no, 15, putting it lightly. I have like 25 mm-hmm. socks that have no match. Nope. And I'm like, I hold on to them because I'm like, I'm going to find it one day. It's oh. going to come out and it's going to be there. I give I give a sock three washes. If it doesn't come back, I throw it away. You know what? I actually, there's another podcast that I started listening to. I can't remember the name of it. Sorry, you don't get your free shout don't out. Don't plug them. They were going to get a free one, but I can't remember the name. But you know what they did? They have like these little like lingerie bags and they would put their yep. socks in there. And then they would wash them, and then the socks would just always be there. Well, we put Samantha's laundry in the laundry bag, and I put my binders in the laundry bag. So how many laundry bags can you have? Um, a lot. Also, I wear a lot of socks. I would need a very big laundry bag. You know what I tried to do? I tried to get um, all the socks that all matched, like all the same. <laughs> it just never works. It just never works? Because mm-hmm. I like socks that have a design on them. I yeah. want something a little bit nicer. Mm-hmm. But you can never find like a three pack of all the same style. Like, what do you mean exactly? A three pack of exactly yeah, the same because thing? Because then if you lose one, you still got all the other ones to match. Oh, I guess that would be smart. That's true. Yeah, because they always want to do like a black stripe and a gray stripe and a red stripe because they're like, people are going to want different things. But no, you're right. I'd be very happy with just a whole pack of like like black and red or something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. That's our million dollar idea. We'll send you a, a pack of socks with the Your Queer Story logo on the side of them. And then you never have to worry about it. They're all white and they have, oh, we'll do black. Black or white socks with our Your, Your Queer Story logo. And it'll be a 10 pack and they're all exactly the same. And you don't have to worry if you lose one. Because guess what? It doesn't matter. You still have nine that are exactly the same. Exactly. You can just mix and match however you want. So... Oh, God. You look so tired. <laughs> I am. I am tired. It's 830 at night. I am officially, like, should be in bed. Would Listen, be in he's bed. he's 30. I am 30. Going to be 31 in just a couple weeks. So, mm-hmm. happy birthday to me. But anyways, we should wake up a little. You guys got to check out our store. Yourqueerstory.com slash shop. We filled it with loads of fun merchandise. Um what, when is this episode dropping? This um, oh, it'll probably at this point. Wait, five to twenty nine. Yeah. So if your so if your uh, pride is you know later in the month of June, you yep. still have time to order. Have yep. some have some apparel for pride. It's all affordably priced. Mm-hmm. We also offer coupons through Honey, which yep. you can find at yourqueerstory.com slash Honey. Um, yeah. Yeah. So get that pride merch it's cheaper than you'll find elsewhere for branded merchandise and um it's also all made in america um that's sewn printed everything right here in america ethically sourced and um like we said through the end of june 10 percent of all proceeds goes to prism the providence youth student movement which focuses on young people of color in providence they do a lot for the queer community as well which is part of, obviously a big reason why we chose them during pride month we want to make sure that we were 
it's a good it's a good organization. They do a lot of good. They're trying to build a new building, and so ten percent of proceeds are going to them. And uh, so you're supporting queer artists, and you're supporting people of color in a city. So um, it's all going to good stuff. And like Paul said, you can get coupons anyway. So even though it's twenty two to twenty five dollars, you save a couple bucks with the coupons, and you have some unique good merchandise that you can wear. And you can uh, let everybody know about your favorite podcast, or you can let them know that you're a big old sodomite. Exactly. Um, and we just wanted to give a special thank you to our patrons for making this episode possible. Mm-hmm. We have hit our next goal, and that means that, yes, we get to make yet another YouTube channel. We currently have a poll running to see what you would like us to do. Yep. And to vote on that poll, you have you can join us on Patreon for as little as $1. The voting ends at the very end of May. So, so two more days from yep. when this episode drops you have two days so you better jump on now stop what you're doing drop what you're doing put this on pause and go on to patreon and sign up for just one dollar or three dollars or more if you really want to support the queer arts because we appreciate it and so do our listeners who are listening to our silken voices what make sure you vote for the cinnamon challenge because i want to see no how about you don't convince people what they need to do how about you let people be them well what challenge would you like to do out of the list um i'd like the challenge like maybe like eat a twinkie challenge because i I would love to do that or or how about um how about go out and buy yourself something nice challenge no there's a (laughs) list i hand selected the you know what another good one is on there what there's that uh mouth challenge the mouth guard challenge you know what that is where you have to read something through the mouth guard? Yeah, you put a mouth guard on oh, like okay. that. I could do that. I think that would be great. I think that would be very funny. <laughs> I feel like so, the cinnamon challenge is a little old. I mean, that's so what? 2017? No, 2013? cinnamon challenge is a while ago. Cinnamon All right. Challenge so is like, who wants to see that again? Me. You want to see the mouth guard <laughs> challenge. Um, but yeah, so go to our Patreon and for as low as a dollar a month, you can uh, vote on that. And also, um, you know, you get ex- exclusive content. Um, that we put on our Patreon for our Patreons, which is actually going, we actually have, we'll have content for uh, the summer, unlike we did to the last couple months with as busy as we've been. But we appreciate you guys helping us out. We really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what are your plans? What did you do for Memorial Day? So on Memorial <laughs> Day was actually my last day in LA. Uh, I had a great time at DragCon. We, oh, yeah, that's right. We did a lot of crazy fun stuff. I got no sleep. Mm. Um, explored a lot. I went with, usually I go with, you know, me and David, yeah. who goes by the drag name Kelly Square. If you're a listener and you're not following, follow now. Kelly yeah, Square. Check him out on social media. Um, but usually it's me, him, and like two or three other drag queens. So mm-hmm. they're all in drag doing their thing at the booth. And then I'm, I don't do drag, so I'm just there. You know, just as me, when nobody obviously wants to talk to me, everybody's there to see drag queens. So I yeah. just roam around and do my own thing. But this year, um, our friend Naoki's boyfriend went, Uh-oh. who is also a really good friend of mine. So we got to go out and, um, you know, we did our one day there because I do like to be there for one day and explore and see all the stuff. But yeah. after you've been there for one day, to me, it's like, okay, it's the same thing every day. So... <laughs> Um, maybe it's different for drag queens. I don't know, but he, him and I, we went out and explored LA and just had a lot of fun. Yeah. He's from that area, so oh, okay. he like so he knows yeah, all the good. He spots. knows the spots. He knows good all that stuff. So it was a lot of fun. Is this your? Was this your second year at LA or second? I think he. I feel like you, you're going. You go to a lot of drag cons. I know you go to. I New go York. to every New York one and every yeah. LA one. So I go to both of them. I don't know if we've been doing it for 
two or three years now. This might be the third year, but maybe the first year we didn't do LA. I can't remember. I think I it was know. New York, then LA, then New York. Yeah. This is our second LA, and this will be our third New York this yeah. year. Yeah. That's how, yeah. Yeah. Well, look at you. All dragged out. Yep. So um, I had the exact opposite. I just enjoyed my day at home doing all the um, all the house chores that I haven't had a chance to catch up on after finally finishing my inventory. So I just took some time to relax, be with the dogs, the new puppy, um, Anna, our little cat. Just enjoy time with my wife and our little fur family. That'll be my week this week. Cause yeah. that. As drag? much fun, as, much fun yeah. as it is. I feel like every time you come back from a drag I disappear con, for like a month. Exactly. <laughs> you just like can't do anything. So anyways, so yeah, good things. Uh, Pride Month, oh my God, we are like, what, three, four days away from Pride Month? Yes. Yeah, so oh my Pride God. Pride Month is the race. I'm to shit myself. <laughs> we are actually about to come up on our one year podcast anniversary. Yeah. So we have that, we have Pride Month, and we have... My birthday. Your birthday? Yeah. My birthday is almost immediately after Pride Month. Yep. Like this next month is like party it's, fest for it's us. A, it's party nonstop. Not as like it was when we were younger, but it's definitely still party. <laughs> and by party, me mean we sit around and, <laughs> you know, give each other a little punch Ooh. on the shoulder. And, and we wear rainbow stuff and we're like, yay. And then people are like, oh my God, do you want to go out? And we're like, oh, no. <laughs> it's already nine. I don't know about that. I have to like, like psych myself up the whole year just to stay out all night on uh, the Pride Parade, which that's I do true. love it. It's fun. But that's the only time of year that I still can like go all night, block mm-hmm. party and, and have a good time. And this month, uh, not this month, Pride Month, we will be covering Stonewall. It is the 50th mm-hmm. anniversary of yep. Stonewall. Big deal. Yeah. Um, we'll also be covering a few other topics that are uh, really, yep. really important to queer history. We'll probably throw in a few mini-sodes, maybe uh, Snapchat, Pride Day. Yeah. You know, we're just... We're oh, going gonna... to be all over social media for Pride. We just... We just, just what we do. It mm-hmm. just... That's where we thrive. Yeah, we're going to be talking about... Uh, I'm pretty positive we're going to be talking about the pink triangle, which uh, people have been requesting for a while. We've been wanting to cover for a while, but that if you're not familiar, the pink triangle was the uh, symbol that the Nazis made gay men and women wear during World War II and when they were putting them in the concentration camps. And then it just so happens that our last episode in June falls on June 26th, which is the anniversary of the national legalization of marriage equality. So, so look at that. Love wins. We're going to be talking about that. Uh, and we know there's going to be Stonewall stuff all over the place, and you should check it out because you know your history. But we're going to try to give you a really good series. I've been working on it for a little while. Um, I want to give you a good, well rounded series on Stonewall. So that's going to be a two parter. Um, and just uh, rock it out. I can't wait. This is going to be a big Pride Month for us. It is. It is going to be a big Pride Month. And we hope you guys are psyched up. I still meet queer people all the time that tell me they've never been to a Pride. And I don't mean like some 14-year-old. I mean like someone who's like been out and in the community for a while. And they're like, you know, I've just never been to a Pride. I don't know how you just, I don't know how you go through life and, and don't go to a Pride. I don't Pride, know how straight people do it, let alone queer people. Pride is the most fun. Like it's an entire day. I mean, it's a month, but like yeah. the day of when like, you, the whatever celebration. Whatever parade you go right. to, or if you go to a couple of them. It's an entire day of just having fun, being your truest self out on yep. the streets. Like, it's what straight people get to experience every day of their the day, life. Yeah. Plus, like, an extreme party on top of it. You're just walking in a group and you know that everyone around you is queer. And that is cool. You don't realize how cool it is until the first time you do it. Right. Because it's like, you can yeah. walk down the street, like, uh, 
I'm all pro, like, if you're in a, a queer relationship, walk down the street holding hands and everything. But still, like, you still feel like, oh, are people judging me? Or, you still feel the yeah, odd man you out. Feel, yeah, you feel it. But, like, in this scene, you're just your truest, most pure self. And you can party and feel safe and mm-hmm. accepted and loved and celebrated. It's just exactly. amazing. And it's so supportive. And, and, and especially now, like, you'll have a lot of friends. You'll have a lot of straight allies that come. You'll have, you know, people just all over will lend their support. And and even in communities where it's tougher, like that's the one time a year where you can see people that you never knew whether or not they supported you. Like they'll put flags out. They'll put a rainbow sign in their window. They'll, you know, you'll randomly see them at Pride and you're like, I didn't think you cared for the queer community, you know. So it's just you just feel the love and it's wonderful and amazing. Um, And we're excited to celebrate it. We hope you are. And uh, we hope you wear some of our merch. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, really good Pride merch. Yeah. Just going to say that one more time. And if you uh, can't support us financially. Yeah. If you would like to help us out in any way possible, just share a simple link to our podcast. And if you have um, questions, if you don't know what might be in your area, if you're listening to our podcast and you don't know what events might be in your area, please feel free to reach out to Paul and I because we would be happy to look up and see what would be nearby, what kind of event. Because just about every area of the country is going to have some kind of pride event. A lot of them are bigger than others. And we can even crowdsource for you. We have a decent enough following. Ask Mm -hmm. us a question. If we can't find the answer, we'll tweet it, and I'm sure enough people will respond. Yep. You might even get a little bit of a community out of it. Maybe some people will say, hey, you can come hang out with us or something. So if you're confused, just let us know. We'll help you. Reach out. We'd love to help you. Today, Queerstians, we boldly go where no man has gone before, including the depth of my voice, and tell tell the tale of the gay Star Trekker, George Takei. Did I say it right? Yes. All right. And an interesting- It rhymes with gay. Yeah. That's a good way to remember. (laughs) And an interesting story for all our Trekkies out there, when Takei auditioned for the role of Sulu, the director pronounced his last name, Taki. Takai. Takai. I'm not- (laughs) So I was like, I wrote it that way because I was like, what is a way that Paul would know, but didn't You could have just put T-A-K-E-Y-E. Okay. Takai. The producer pronounced his name Takai. Okay. The budding actor corrected the pronunciation, though he told the director he didn't mind being called Takai because in Japanese, the word means expensive. That's, yeah, right. <laughs> that's I like, yeah. It's like, that's fine if you want to. I mean, this just means you're going to have to call, pay me more money. And yeah, pretty much. And the producer's like, no, that's fine. Takei's great. <laughs> I love Takei. <laughs> Perhaps that initial exchange softened the writers towards Takei. Or maybe they just loved his fun and witty personality. It is hard not to like George Takei, but before we can look to the future, we must first learn of his past. So George Hosado Takei was born on April 20th, 1937 in Los Angeles, California. The new baby boy was given the name George in honor of the recent coronation of Britain's King George VI. Um, when I was doing research, uh, some people said that he was born Hosado Takei and then given the name George. I don't know because I don't know what Japanese culture is. If someone wants to message us and let us know, I don't know if you're given... If that like he was given like a Japanese name and then he was given uh, an American name. He was born in America, but his father was a first generation immigrant. Um, so I don't know how that goes. But anyways, so uh, the Takeis were first and second generation Japanese American immigrants. Like I said, his father was a first generation. His mother was a second generation. Many Asian Americans were recruited to the U.S. during the gold rush, often as indentured servants who were forced to take hard labor jobs for low pay. The most notorious work was their labor on the railroad. 
When anti-Chinese sentiments began to rise in the late 1800s, Theodore Roosevelt signed the Chinese Exclusion Act, which prohibited, which prohibited any more immigrants from China. Business owners felt the financial pressure of not having a steady stream of cheap labor, so instead they began to recruit Japanese workers. So I just want to say this anti-immigration shit has been going on since, I mean, not only since before the, con- the people who fucking founded the country. Exactly. Right? Like, well, well, I mean, you can immigrate here as long as you're going to work for free. Right, literally, they're like, they come over here, they steal the country from Native Americans, and then they're like, excuse you, do you think you can just come in here anytime you want, do whatever the hell you want? Who does that? Who does that? And everybody else is like, um, <laughs> and the Native Americans are just like, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. <laughs> you just completely decimated our entire livelihood. <laughs> okay, well, you set up like literally just in this story alone, we're gonna learn of like four immigration acts where the uh, U.S. is like, sorry, nobody can immigrate here because we've decided we're not gonna let people come over. <laughs> Such fucking hypocrites. Anyways, <laughs> go ahead. However, oh, however, this didn't solve America's racism problem. Is anybody surprised? <laughs> I am shocked. I'm gooped. I'm gagged. I can't believe believe that not allowing people to immigrate here and then allowing other people to immigrate here to be indentured service didn't solve the racism problem. They literally stumbled was like, well, you know what? People, they're not liking the Chinese. What if we just let the Japanese come? And someone's like, ah, well, there we go. That's the the problem is the Chinese. It's not, it couldn't be because we're racist. It's not, it couldn't possibly be it. No, it's just the Chinese people. Um... (laughs) So in 1924, it was a little. It was of little surprise when the United States government issued the Immigration Act, which essentially banned all immigrants from Asia, barring some exclusion for family members of those already in the states. And by this time, over 127,000 Japanese Americans were living in the states. Unlike the Chinese, many Japanese immigrants had chosen to stay and build life, build a life in America. As their numbers continued to grow, so did the racism and distrust. Even as second and third generation children were born into the states, people continued to view the Japanese as a problem. The anti-Japanese propaganda in newspapers, radio programs, and even TV was in full swing decades before the Pearl Harbor decades before the Pearl Harbor bombing, which is why events on December 7th, 1941 were so devastating for all Americans, but especially Japanese Americans. Okay, so when I was doing research, I watched a um, so Amazon Prime has a, a couple of decent documentaries on Japanese internment camps. I wouldn't say any of them were great. There was one that was very emotional. It was uh, just survivors of the internment, and we say uh, concentration camps because activists today are asking that people call them concentration camps as they are. But if you look on any documentaries or if you look on any government um, like documents, they're so-called internment camps. But anyways. Because internment sounds so much better. So exactly. Wow, we shouldn't call them concentration camps. We're not. We, we weren't the Nazis. We weren't the anything. Nazis. We just we just locked them up. We fed them, right? It's it's literally like the slave, like people's like we're talking about slavery and they're like, okay, well, you know what? Most slavery wasn't that bad. I mean, we gave them a nice place to sleep and, and we fed them well. Sure, we beat them and cut them and, you know. That was only some of the slave. That was only some of the slave owners most of the slave owners treated their people good those that, are little arguments i've heard before. that's why we should keep the confederate flags up because we are honoring the ones who took care of their the slaves, ones that okay? were good slave owners hey christians today's episode is brought to you by honey the incredible browser extension honey searches the web for you and automatically applies the best coupons to your order I have personally saved a ton of money using this extension. When we upgraded our audio equipment, we saved around $20. That was just one purchase. 
the average Honey user saves $30. How could Honey be any better, you ask? Honey now offers exclusive coupons for the Your Queer Story merch shop. So make sure you check it out while you shop for your new swag. To learn more, visit yourqueerstory.com slash honey. Again, that's yourqueerstory.com slash honey. Anyways, um, so anyway, so well, this to say, so I watched a couple documentaries. So one of the documentaries was very emotional and is about former uh, concentration camp survivors who were now decades and decades later, they were, they were on like a retreat and it just shows them working through what they went through. It was very emotional. It was very good, but it was just them talking about their experiences. It wasn't an actual documentary in, in like, in that sense. The other one was originally from 1946, I want to say, and then remade again in 2017, but it had in it a, a 10 minute propaganda film. You know, and so if you don't know the movies back then, when you went to the movies, you went to the fucking movies. You were there for hours because your feature film, the reason we it's called feature film is because you would sit there and you would watch cartoons. You would watch like announcements from the government. You would watch all these kinds of things and you would watch propaganda films all before you got to your feature film of what you were actually there for. Jesus. Yeah. So you, but you actually got your money's worth then, you know? Yeah, that's true. Right. So, um, Anyways, there was a propaganda film that made me want to pull my, my, it made my skin crawl where this like old white guy is talking to another guy that's supposed to be Uncle Sam. And he's, he's got a smile on his face the whole time, but he's just talking about how the Japanese are just messing up the country. He's like, it's not their fault, but you know, and he's just, the way he's talking about it, it makes you want to pull your fucking hair out of your head because it's so racist and it's so awful. But this is the kind of stuff that was being showed to Americans and and helping spin this anti-immigration, you know, the same shit that we have today just mm-hmm. on social media. Um, I don't know where I was, I was, but anyway, so, so it, they were, this was this anti um, Japanese, this racism was building, and then Pearl Harbor happened on December 7th, 1941. So just two months after the bombing, Franklin Roosevelt signed Executive Order 9066, which authorized military commanders to designate military areas at their discretion, from which any or all persons may be excluded. Essentially, soldiers began going around and telling all Japanese Americans on the West Coast that their homes, shops, businesses, schools, etc. were now exclusion zones, so they couldn't live there. They paid ludicrously low prices to buy the homes and belongings inside, and then they so-called relocated the families to barracks at assigned locations. Basically, the U.S. government set up concentration camps for Japanese Americans. So they just went on to to Japanese areas and they were like hey this is an exclusion you know that sounds really familiar to what um someone in germany did yeah it does i don't remember the name oh no no this is totally different paul it sounds awfully was that hitler was that totally different they didn't have ovens so it wasn't that bad right they only stole all of their shit moved them into a fucking barrack and made them completely strip them of their culture and culture, you know and their, their privacy and lock them up like animals froze but, their assets uh playing out stole their assets and um no you know what that's absolutely nothing like what it's, the other it's people not exa- it's no. not at all the same You're not during the same war either no <laughs> no we were so much better than right. them and over 120,000 japanese americans were imprisoned regardless of whether they were citizens or not regardless of whether they were born in the united states or had le- legally become a citizen after immigration regardless of whether they had ever 
even been to Japan or could even speak or read Japanese, regardless of their passionate commitment to America and anyone who was considered a leader in the community was simply put directly in prison. Many families would go three to four years without seeing their fathers and brothers. How are we repeating the same exact thing today? I don't know. I don't know. We just, we don't learn from It's history. like every generation has to have their like, their, yeah. their version of this. Yeah. It, it's, it's incredible. It, it, you know, it just re- repeats again and again. But they talk about how, so there was all this, there was reports coming back. The U.S. was getting intelligence reports that were saying, hey, the Japanese Americans, we don't have to distrust them. They are loyal to us. And, and in the beginning. Oh, they, they're, they're Americans are loyal Americans? Yeah, right. What, what the no. fuck? So the intelligence, so, so Roosevelt sending out all these people to do intelligence reports to see whether or not the, the Japanese Americans are a threat. And there's a lot more to this. I mean, we're not doing an episode on the Japanese concentration camp. So you, there's a lot more you can read into it, like the people that were behind these bills. But the point is, they were getting reports that said, hey, we don't find any evidence of espionage. We don't find any evidence at all that we don't, we can't trust our own American citizens. But they still continue. But they just, the FBI just, and Hoover just hid that, those reports and kept locking these people up for the next four years. They would lock, they would lock them up. They would keep them in prison. Um, and one of the most mind blowing stories that I heard told by a woman in the uh, documentary about the, the group that was healing from their trauma. And she told about how she was a 14 year old girl. She had never been to Japan before. I think she was a second or third generation Japanese girl at 14 years old. The U S government took her from her parents and traded her overseas as a prisoner of war for a white American. So they took a, a, Mar- a Japanese-American and traded her for a white American overseas. And then she was over there till the end of the war and she was brought back. That's so fucked up. Right? So among those forced into these concentration camps were the decays. George was five years old when his family was moved to the Rohwer War Relocation Center in Rohwer, Arkansas. R-O-H-W-E-R. In Arkansas which was simply a converted horse stable. And it was in the middle of anywhere in he, of, of the desert. And he talks about how hot it was. They had no air conditioning. They had no fans. They had nothing. They had no running water or plumbing. They were just in the middle of the desert in stifling heat, just forced to live out there. And the camps were small and cramped with up to 25 people living in a spacement for five. There was no privacy, which further insulted a culture that so deeply values privacy. Armed guards were posted around the barbed wire gates and strictly enforced the federal regulation of an 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. curfew for all Japanese Americans. So the government said if you're Japanese American, you have to be in bed by, you have to be in your home by 8 and you can't leave until 6. As for the structure and sanitary conditions, according to a government document in 1943, the internees were housed in a tar papered covered barracks of simple frame construction without plumbing or cooking facilities of any kind. It's so fucked up. Yeah. For the next four years, George would grow up in the camps with his two siblings. He has been very open about his experience in recent years and even starred in a play in 2012 based on his life in the camps called Allegiance. But before he would make it to Broadway, first there was the long road of recovery from the camps. After being released in 1944, the Takes lived on the streets along with many other Japanese Americans. Since the government had stripped them of their assets and then turned them out penniless, they struggled to regain stability. George says that as that as sad a as George says that as sad as the camps were, at least he felt safe there. One day, as they were living on the streets, a drunk man walked up to the family and abruptly threw up all at 
up at their feet. George turned to his mother and said, Mom, can we go home? Referring to the concentration camp as home. Yeah, so, and he actually talks about how that, just because he was so young when they first moved into the camps, he kind of grew up and it felt like home. Mm -hmm. And then he was nine years old when they left and they were living on the streets. And he talked about how that was more traumatic. Oh, I'm sure. Because at least there he had a roof over his head, you know, and there was some security. But now he's literally living under a bridge with Mm -hmm. his family, you know, because the government... Like robbed them and then robbed them and then just like oops them. okay you guys can go and then just I guess we made a mistake well good luck pull yourself up by your own bootstraps <laughs> pull yourself up by your own bootstraps ah. he said at this time in a TED talk which you can find online my parents worked hard to get back on their feet we had lost everything they were in the middle of their lives and starting all over they worked their fingers to the bone and ultimately were able to get the capital together to buy a three-bedroom home in a nice neighborhood. And I was a teenager, and I became very curious about my childhood imprisonment. I had read civics books that told me about the ideals of American democracy. All men are created equal. We have an unalienable light right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I couldn't quite make that fit in what I knew about my childhood imprisonment. Well, I don't know if you know that, but that was only written about white men. Exactly. That's why you didn't understand it. They they left that out. They, they did. All men, all white. They probably said. They probably said that, and then they were like, you know, we should really just take out these two or three words right here. <laughs> right. It'll make us sound more progressive. We're not gonna. We're not gonna follow it. <laughs> but it'll make us sound progressive. <laughs> In time, the Takays were able to rebuild. George graduated from Los Angeles High School in 1956 and then off to Berkeley where he earned a Bachelor's of Arts in 1960 and a Master's in 64. During this time, George was picking up odd jobs in Hollywood, cultivating his style and paying his way through college. But his biggest, his biggest break would come in 1965 when, the, when producer Gene Roddenberry cast George as the iconic Sulu in the original Star Trek. Takei would star in a dozen in dozens of movies and television shows over the next 50 plus years, but he will forever be remembered as the helmsman of the Starship Enterprise. Yeah, uh, we're not going to get deep into his uh, acting career, but he's done a lot of stuff. He was a big part of the Howard Stern show. He was the announcer on there. He did a lot of things, um, but he will always be Mr. Sulu to most people. Um, and we don't have a lot. We're not getting into the Star Trek for you Trekkies, but um, we at least pay tribute to him through this. So throughout his career, George's sexuality was an open secret. Even as early as the 1970s, he was advocating for gay rights, opening, openly volunteering for various queer organizations, and dating around as much as he pleased. So he never, like, you didn't come out then, especially as an actor, especially when you're Mr. Sulu. And, and the thing with Star Trek is it only ran for three seasons, the original one. And it just slowly, over time, it's like snowballed into more and more popularity. Like, it was, mm-hmm. it was mildly popular at the time. And then, but it was like... Everybody was big into the superheroes, so like Batman was coming out. Uh, there was, I think there was a Superman. Like those shows were coming out, and they were taking over. And so Star Trek, the first, uh, didn't didn't last. Um, but I don't know. Where, but anyways, but even as early as the 1970s, people knew like knew that he was gay. He never tried to hide it. You just you didn't talk about it right. openly. You didn't talk about it in magazines, but he would date openly. Like if you knew, if you were a Star Trek fan and you knew George Takei, you knew he, that he was gay. Mm-hmm. Um, due to the pressure from his agent and others, he did not formally come out until, two, until 2005. I didn't read enough to see what his fa- parents thought about it. I'm sure the information is out there, but I didn't, I don't know 
how they re- reacted to it. Like I said, because he was living openly for so long. Right. I would imagine, I mean, at the very least, they had come to grips with it and then maybe they were completely fine. Uh, so when he came out in 2005, by that time, George had been with his future husband, Brad Altman, for 15 years. The two wouldn't be able to get married until 2008 when it was legalized in California. They were the first same-sex couple to apply for a marriage license in West Hollywood on June uh, in West Hollywood. On June 17th, shortly after Takei and Altman obtained their marriage license, they spread the news by holding a press conference outside the West Hollywood city. They were married on September 14th at the Democracy Forum of the Japanese American National Museum in Los Angeles, of which Takei is one of the founders and serves as members of its board of trustees. George's activism really took off in the early 2000s. In 2006, he embarked on a nationwide equality trek. I almost said equality twerk. Speaking to, <laughs> Same thing. Speaking to her, sharing his life as a gay Japanese American, his 18-year relationship with Altman, Frontrunners, and Star Trek, encouraging others to share their own personal stories. In the wake of 2007, controversy over former NBA player Tim Hardaway, who had stated, I hate gay people, Takei recorded a mock public service announcement, announcement, which began as a serious message of tolerance, then turned the tables on... Hardaway by proclaiming that while he may hate gay people, gay people love him and other sweaty basketball players. Oh, that was that was smart. Yeah. <laughs> in May 2011, in response to Tennessee state legislator bill that would prohibit school teachers or students from using any language that alludes to the existence of homosexuality. Do you remember that? No, I, I don't. I don't think I remember that. I this was 2000. Oh, this was literally a month before I came out. This is when I graduated high school, so I was very. I, I hadn't come out yet. Yeah, I I think they were talking about it before I came out, but, but yeah, it was like you couldn't even say the word gay. It was like such a ridiculous, extreme bill for a public school. That's insane. Yeah. Takei released another PSA in which he offered up his name, suggesting that people could just substitute that for gay. For example, they could support Takei marriage or watch <laughs> Takei pride parades or even use slurs like. That's so Takei. <laughs> you guys can say that's so Paul too if you want. That's my name. Yeah, it doesn't quite have the same ring, but okay. <laughs> Just, you know, you know what? Takei yeah. is brilliant. So to this day, he continues his activism and is seen, and it seems that he only becomes more popular and endearing with time. In 1986, he received a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and nearly 20 years later, Asteroid 7307 was named in his honor. When he found out, he said, I am now a heavenly body. I found out about it yesterday. I was blown away. It came out of the clear blue sky, just like an asteroid. <laughs> He's so extra. Mm-hmm. He also has received the American Humanist Award and the Japanese National Museum Distinguished Medal of Honor for Lifetime Achievement and many, many other humanitarian as well as media awards. He's been, I feel like he's been just as active in his humanitarian efforts as he has in his, um, like his acting career. He's such an incredible person. He is. He's just done so much. I mean, he's done so much for Japanese Americans. He's done so much for gay Americans. He's just done so much for minorities in America and for, and just making sure all voices are heard. And he still does. And he's in his eighties at this point and he's still doing that. Um, from a young gay Japanese American boy, from a young gay Japanese American boy who was so deeply wronged by his country, George Takei has taught us all what forgiveness and love truly means. We'll end this episode with a story Takei told about why he loves the country that betrayed him. During World War II, the Germans were embedded in the mountain hillside, rocky hillside, and impregnable caves, and three Allied battalions had been pounding away at it for six months, and they were st- at a sta- they were stalemated. 
The 442nd, which is a Japanese-American battalion, was called in to aid to the fight, but the men of the 442nd um, came up with a unique but dangerous idea. The backside of the mountain was a sheer rock cliff. The Germans thought an attack from the backside would be impossible. The men of the 442nd decided to do the impossible. On a dark, moonless night, they began scaling the rock wall, a drop of more than a thousand feet, in full combat gear. They climbed all night long on that sheer cliff. In the darkness, some lost their handhold or their footing, and they fell to their deaths in the ravine below. They all fell silently. Not a single one cried out so as not to give their position away. The men climbed for eight hours straight, and those who made it to the top stayed there until the first break of light, and as soon as light broke, they attacked. The Germans were surprised, and they took the hill and broke the Gothic line. A six-month stalemate was broken by the 442nd in 32 minutes. And uh, surprisingly, I never heard anything about this. Go of course figure. not. No. It was an amazing act, and when the war ended, the 442nd returned to the United States as the most decorated unit of the entire Second World War. They were greeted back on the White House lawn by President Truman, who said to them, You fought not only the enemy, but prejudice, and you won. They are my heroes. They clung to their beliefs in the shining ideals of this country, and they proved that being an American is not just for some people, that race is not how we define being an American. They expanded what it means to be an American, including Japanese Americans that we were feared and suspected and hated. They were change agents, and they left for me a legacy. They are my heroes, and my father is my hero, who understood democracy and guided me through it. They gave me a legacy, and with that legacy comes a responsibility. And I am dedicated to making my country an even better America, to making our government an even truer democracy. And because of the heroes that I have and the struggles that we've gone through, I can stand before you as a gay Japanese American, but even more than that, I am a proud American. Brilliant. Genius, hilarious, smart, gay as fuck. Yes. And just an overall incredible person. Just a good person. Just wow. We do not deserve Mr. Sulu. We do not deserve George Takei. But we are grateful that he has continued to love and support us and, you know, to educate Americans on so many issues. Rather, and, and every person has a right to do what they need to, but he could have, he could have turned away and said, fuck you, America. He could have, he had every right, right? Oh yeah, he could have. He could have <laughs> just, you know, done his thing, had married someone and just sat away and lived his life and yeah. that could have been the end of it. But he, instead he just continues to fight day after day in his eighties for the better of everyone else mm -hmm. in a country that locked him up as a prisoner at the age of five. Yeah. Locked him up. And told him that he was a threat in a country that denied him the right to marry his husband until 2008. The mm -hmm. man that he had been with for 18 years at that time. 18 years waiting to marry the but love you know of your what? life. All those drunk straight people who got married in Vegas. Their marriage <laughs> was oh, it's so sacred. much more valid. It's fucking sacred, Paul. How dare you? I know. Um, but anyways, guys, so this is your last episode of May with Mr. George Takei. And Bringing we us into Pride Month. I couldn't think right. of a better person to do I it. I couldn't. I could not think of a better person. Uh, we're excited. We hope you are excited. Uh, share our link. Tune in next week for our episode on Stonewall. Episode one of two of Stonewall. Episode one. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, especially Pride Month, if you want to show some love to your queer artists, share us up. 
Um, put us out there. We Leave uh, us a review on iTunes. Yeah, review on iTunes helps too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and reach out to us if you have questions or if you just want to chat or if you're feeling lonely in Pride Month or if you are feeling happy in Pride Month. Reach out to us. We want to talk to you guys. So stay queer. Don't get a lobotomy. We love your allied hookers. Our little suckling saphis. And our proud homocrats. And our sodomite circus. Bye. Bye.